Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Vorse. Join us now for service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. Luke chapter 5, verses 36 through 39. And today, uh, in these four scriptures here, these four verses, uh, which we're going to use as our springboard, we'll have several other scriptures, but we're going to begin talking about adjusting to transition. Adjusting to transition. Father, we just come to you right now and... Lord, we're grateful for you. We're grateful for the Word. We're thankful for how it changes and transforms us and challenges us every single day of our lives. Touch me to be able to effectively communicate your Word today to hungry hearts. And we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Let's read through it real quick. Jesus spake also a parable unto them, and He says, No man puts a piece of a new garment on an old. If otherwise, then both the new makes a rent, and the piece that was taken out of the new agrees not with the old. And no man puts new wine into old bottles, unless the new wine would burst the bottles and be spilled, and the bottles would perish. But new wine must be put into new bottles, and both are preserved. And no man also having drunk old wine straightway desireth new, for he says the old is better." Now, some theologians and some Bible scholars will tell you that there are literally three parables in this, these four verses. I think there's two, but they'll say that there are three parables, one about the garment, one about the wine into old bottles, and then they use verse 39 as the third parable. I kind of think that it's just kind of uh, uh, goes with the second one. But they'll say that no man having drunk old wine desires new, for he says the old is better, and they'll say that that is the third parable. But in line with uh, the way that I've studied, I feel like it's just part of the second parable. So we're going to say there's two parables in four verses here. There's the parable of the old and the new garments, and there's the parable of putting new wine into old wineskins. Now, as a way to kind of segue into this today, I want to start talking for just a few moments about transition. We can't live life without transition. There's no way. There's absolutely no one in the world who has ever lived without transition. Transition is just part of life because physically our life changes, right? Look in the mirror. Yeah, amen. Physically life changes. How many of you get up in the morning sometimes and look in the mirror and say, Hello, my name is, who are you? Life changes. I'll never forget, many years ago, I was young and dumb, and I was preaching in my second church, and I was talking about something that Donna had, had done earlier in that week. Now, it's become kind of fun in our family now, and we talk about it, so I don't think I'm going to get in trouble when I share it today. But Donna and I had not been married very long. I say very long for some people. We'd been married over 10 years, maybe 12, 14, 15 years. All of a sudden, I hear this shriek coming out of the bathroom. And I run in the bathroom, and Donna is over like this. And she says, John, and she pulled her hair like back like this. And she hit her cheek, and she said, it's sagging. Well, you know, when you're young, your skin on your face is kind of tight, right? Right? But when you get older, things change a little bit. Right? Your skin gets a little more elastic. Pull it a little more. 
So there was a young man in the church who uh, actually he wasn't that young. He, he was one of our elders. He affectionately started calling her the bag lady. So now today we get all kinds of text and everything from Phil. And he'll say, how you doing, bag lady? And it's obviously a love term to her uh, from him. But uh, the point is, is our life changes. Your life changes. My life changes. Our lives always change. Psychologically, we change. How many of you see life the same way today as you did when you were young? You don't, do you? You know why? Because you've lived a little bit, you've had some experiences, you've grown hopefully in the Lord, you've grown in your faith, and your life is changing and psychologically you're changing. Socially, we change. How many of you are really close friends with those that you went to high school with? There's a few of you, but most of, there's maybe two or three, but most of us, we can't raise our hands. A lot of the people that I went to high school with, I can't even remember their names. But I was in class with them every single day, and I can't even hardly remember their names. And the reason is because as we get older, our lives take a different path. And hopefully, Lord willing, spiritually, through time, we change. There's transitions in our lives, we change. The Bible talks about growing up into Him in all things. You see, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that they may grow thereby. So we see that there is spiritual infancy. And then when you've got people, you know, well, things didn't go my way, so I'm just going to quit paying my tithe. Or things didn't go my way, so I'm just going to bounce from church to church to church to church until I find out what I want. Well, that's called spiritual adolescence. Hello, you know, attitude Christians, spiritual. I didn't get my way, so I'm going to pitch fit. I'm going to mess things up. I'm going to try to, I'm gonna, if I leave this church, I'll take half the church with me. You're a spiritual adolescent. Ain't nobody going to follow you. And then the Bible says that we might grow up into him in all things. How do you know that someone is spiritually mature? It's when they start producing fruit. And so, Hopefully, God willing, Lord willing, you're in a teaching church where you can learn the principles of God's Word and you can grow in God and you can grow up into Him. And the Bible said we know people by the fruit that they bear, so hopefully you'll start producing fruit and people won't set in judgment of you, but they'll be able to see the fruit that comes from your life and from your efforts. And so we see the transition in our life spiritually as we grow in God. So we can't grow without transition. Time experience brings wisdom. Uh, Mark and I, uh, this guy that's trying real hard to be my son-in-law, uh, we, were, we were in the car yesterday and we were driving down the road and, or it might have been the day before. And I looked at him and I said, Mark? And he said, what? I said, there's two ways to learn. And I shared this with my son all the time growing up. And I told him, I said, two ways to learn. He said, okay, what's that? Like that, because that's what he does. Okay, what's that? You know. I said, mentors or mistakes? Mentors or mistakes? And then I told him, I said, choose mentors. It's a lot less painful. And I've learned that through life. So you can't grow without transition. And so time and experience bring wisdom, but you can grow with mentors and God can put godly fathers. The Bible said we have many teachers, but very few fathers. God can put spiritual fathers into your life. 
that can speak a word to you in season, that can correct you when necessary, that can love on you, that can guide you, that can help provide the spiritual nourishment that you need to help you grow in God. And as that happens, your life begins to transform and change. Education opens doors. Culture is going to change. It waits for no one. We adapt or die. So culture waits for no one. And here's something about leaders. This is what I found about leaders. Many, many years ago, I learned this. Leaders are not born, they're made. That's just, just like discipleship. Disciples are not born, they're made. Jesus said, go make disciples. We win the lost, we make disciples. Winning the lost is people realizing they need Christ. He comes into their heart and their life and then the work begins. Then it's time for discipleship. Discipleship is learning the principles of daily living. A disciple is a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And so, that's discipleship. So leaders aren't born, they're made. Disciples aren't born, they're made. Now with all of that in mind, because I hope we've got the transitional mentality juices flowing inside of your head right now. I hope you're starting to think about transition now. With that in mind, I want us to take a good hard look at this passage of Scripture. Luke 5, 36, Jesus spake a parable unto them and said, No man puts a piece of new garment upon old. If otherwise, then both the new makes a rent, and the piece that was taken out of the new agrees not with the old. Now typographically, the Old Testament, let me say it like this, the Old Testament many times is types and shadows of things that are happening or coming to pass in the New Testament. So typographically, we view this passage as the difference between Old Testament law and the dispensation of grace in which we live in. Now here are a few takeaways from this passage. Number one, you can't mix the law with grace. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. If we try to mix the law with grace, we contaminate both. Jesus didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill the law. In other words, He came to finish it. He came to fill it up. He came to satisfy it. When Jesus became the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world, obtaining eternal redemption for you and I, that satisfied the requirements of the law, past, present, and future. Because He was the only spotless Lamb of God. The law says this. The law says you must do, and it gives you this list of things. Grace says Jesus already did that. That's the difference. The Bible commentator Jay and Darby said it well. Here's what he said. He said Jesus would do no such thing as tack on Christianity to Judaism. Flesh and law go together. Because the flesh is always looking for balances and payback. Flesh and law go together, but grace and law, God's righteousness and man's righteousness will never mix. Why? Because our righteousness is as filthy rags and in Christ there is no bad thing. So that's why he has to make us the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The Bible said that you have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Simply put, what that means is you can't work your way into heaven. 
You have to be a recipient of God's forgiveness. You have to be a recipient of God's grace. And when we're a recipient of God's grace and God's forgiveness, then He begins and He makes us the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, the life application principle of this passage says this. It says, just don't mess with God's designs. Don't take a piece of new garment and put it on an old garment because it's not going to work. The new garment is going to contaminate the old garment. Here's, here's what God says. He says, I'm not going to throw out the old. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? God doesn't throw out the old. God builds on it. Are you hearing me? God doesn't throw out the old. God builds on the old. It's wrong for us to try to, quote, replace the old. When we look at the way that God moved in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s and the 60s and, yes, the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s, when we look at the way that God moved, we can see the different patterns of how God moved. We can see the great tent revivals. We can see great prophets. We can say people that were voices to their generation. We can see how that God used them and God flowed through them. We can see the, uh, the insurgence of the great word revival. We can see the great healing revivals. We can see the great prosperity revival. We can see all of these things. Smith Wigglesworth prophesied of our time, and he called it the greatest revival, the time of the greatest revival, where the culmination of all of these things would come together, the power of God would be poured out upon the earth, and after the power of God was poured out upon the earth, it would bring about the greatest revival ever, and then the Lord would come. Now, God's not replacing the old. God's not replacing what He's doing today with what He did 30 years ago. God's building on what He did 30 years ago. He's building on what He did 20 years ago. He's building on what He did 10 years ago. So God doesn't take a new thing and patch it onto an old thing. He just recreates a whole new thing. Do you see that? Because what he created before, even though it's getting ancient, even though it's getting older, what he created before was perfect in its day. And so God's not trying to patch it and trying to get another mile out of it. No, no. He's saying, you know what? That's part of the foundation of what I'm going to do. And so God creates new things. God doesn't replace the old with new. He creates new and he asks us to embrace what he's doing today. Another uh, life application principle that we can take out of this passage here is, is what I like to call the spirit of excellence. We talk about the spirit of excellence around here a lot. We're always working to be more excellent. We're always working to offer to the Lord the very best that we can. We're always trying our best to present to the Lord our efforts as worship. Whatever we do for God should be done to the best of our ability. I want you to look at your neighbor right now and say, no shoddy work for God. I've, I was on Twitter the other day and there's this guy called the wrestling pastor and he puts little captions and then he puts these wrestlers with their moves and he had one of these wrestlers, I don't know who they were, but they were on the, on the top rope 
and he came down and he just kind of body slammed the guy that was already on the mat. And the caption was, when you get a 70 inch HD black screen for Christmas, so you give the church your old 13 inch. And so, and so the GIF was, some of you are too old to know what a GIF is, but the young folks are gonna know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Okay, but the, but the gif is this guy going down and just like body slamming him like, what are you thinking, man? You're supposed to do the best for God, right? I've never been able to understand people will take stuff that they're trying to sell in their yard sale and when they can't sell it in the yard sale, they'll bring it to the church as a gift and want a tax write-off for it. An old broken down crib that's missing maybe a couple of those things, and they'll and 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 they'll unload it and they'll say, you know, somebody could fix that. They can. I'm like, fix it yourself, you know. But they're like, somebody could somebody could fix that. That'd make a good crib for the for the nursery. Now I tell you what would make a good crib for the nursery is if you went down and got a new crib for the nursery. That's what make a yeah. what would make a good crib for the nursery. Okay. <laughs> So what, what I'm saying here is there's a spirit of excellence that is displayed in this passage of Scripture. Whatever we offer to God, we need to offer with, let's not give God patchwork. Let's not give God patchwork. Let's do the best that we can for, for God. There's, now, now here's the thing. There's still a garment, but it's a new garment. It's not an old garment. God's still trying to move today, and we still need to surrender to Him, and we still need to let Him move today. But just because the worship music might not be what it was 20 or 30 years ago, and the way people dress, I mean, my goodness, Pastor, I can't believe you're in gray, blue jeans, and you're not wearing a tie. Get used to it. <laughs> Besides that, let me see something here. I don't think I see a tie at all in this place. Anybody wearing a tie? Oh, yes, Robert back there. He's got the bow tie on. Dapper Robert. There we go. Woo. That's awesome. That's awesome. Unfortunately, I have to button this top button to keep the mic in place. But, but anyways, the point, the point that I'm trying to make here is we need to embrace what God's trying to do. We need to embrace the move of God for the next generation. We need to embrace the move of God for this generation. It doesn't mean that we're trying to replace what God did in your generation. It doesn't mean we're trying to replace what God did in my generation. No, we're going to let history be history. We're going to honor history by allowing history to be history. And we're not going to try to create patchwork worship over an old garment. We're not going to try to create patchwork presentation over an old garment. We're going to say, okay, God, however you want to work in this generation, I, I'm up for it. Let's do it. Let's work together, God. Let's do what you want to do. So, so let's do it to the very best of our ability and let's do it with excellence because God is into excellence. So then we go on to where the Bible talks about new wine into old wineskins. Luke chapter 5, verses 37 through 39, the Bible says, And no man puts wine into old bottles unless the new wine be bur that will burst the bottles and be spilled and the bottles perish. But new wine must be put into new bottles and both are preserved. No man also having drunk old wine straightway desireth new, for he says the old is better. Typographically, this passage explains the difference 
between the rigidness, the legalism, the formalism of the law, and the exuberant joy, spiritual power, peace, and hope that our life in Christ brings. The old wine talks about the law. The law was harsh. It was a slave master. The Believer's Bible Commentary references it like this. It says this, The old law was the outmoded forms, ordinances, traditions, and rituals of Judaism, and they were too rigid to hold the joy and the exuberance and the energy of the new dispensation of grace. So when we see old wine, we're talking about in this passage of Scripture, typographically, we're talking about the law. So many people are caught up in legalism. They're very rigid about the way that things ought to be. And so we see the spirit of the law still in a lot of churches today. A legalistic spirit, a slave master type spirit. You got to do it my way type spirit. That's that old legalistic spirit, that old law spirit. And it's still in a lot of churches here today. New wine speaks of the dispensation of grace. Now, listen to me. The dispensation of grace brought great joy. Look at your neighbor and say, great joy. Come on, great joy, great joy. Come on, some of you remember Tony the Tiger. Come on, great joy. Great joy. Let me give you some scriptures for that. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 10, the Bible said, When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. So that at the announcement of the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, that announcement brought great joy to the earth. Why? Because it signified that the days of the law were closing. The dispensation of the law was closing. And a dispensation of grace, God's ability to do in us and for us what we cannot do in ourselves or for ourselves was beginning to open up. And so that was great joy. It brought great joy. And then Luke chapter 24, verse 52, at the ascension of Jesus. Now, Jesus has already lived 33 and a half years. I mean, my goodness, he was confounded the doctors in the temple when he was 12 years old. He started doing miracles when he was about 30, probably doing miracles before then. But I'm talking about on a larger scale. The first recorded miracle was when Jesus turned the water into wine. And just for the record books, Jesus' first miracle was to keep the party going. I just, you know, <laughs> that's right. Keep the party going. Great joy. Great joy. So then here he is. He'd been crucified, uh, put in a borrowed tomb for three days. He rose again. He's at the ascension. And the Bible said that they worshiped Christ and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. With great joy. Philip was preaching Christ and performing miracles in Samaria in Acts chapter 8 and verse number 8. And the Bible said when he was preaching about Jesus and when, we, when he was performing miracles, the Bible said there was great joy that came into that city. Anytime there's a great move of God, there's going to be great joy because you can't be involved in a great move of God and walk out of the building the same as you walked in. There's something about the presence of God. There's something about the power of God that changes us, that transforms us. So the dispensation of grace brought great joy. The proclamation of the gospel message to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 15 and verse number 3, and, and being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles 
and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. So when the gospel spread from the Jews over into the Gentiles, once again, it spread, the great joy began to spread. Great joy. You ever been to a church where it looked like that, you know, someone had grabbed someone's bottom lip and pulled it up over their head? I mean, they just, or maybe half of the church had been baptized in lemon juice. I mean, we're, we've got water baptism this morning. You ever been to a church where, you know, you go into that service and you leave and you just feel worse than when you went in. You, you, you go in and you're like, oh, praise God, it's going to be a good service. And then you leave and you feel more depressed. Then You ever been to a place like that? Don't go back. Don't go back. You don't have any place there. There's not a place there for you. You need to be a place where there's great joy. The teaching of the Word brings great joy because the teaching of the Word brings revelation. The teaching of the Word wakes your spirit up. It causes your spirit to start to pop and to start to jump and start to be encouraged. And so, so go to a place like that. Not somewhere where they're trying to work you up with emotion, but somewhere where they're feeding you energy bars, spiritually speaking. Hallelujah. Great joy was evident even in the midst of, of trials that eventually caused the Corinthian church. And, and I love this, 2 Corinthians 8, 2. They were going through trials, and the Bible said that, that they went through those great trials with great joy. Read it in 2 Corinthians 8, 2. And the payoff was they abounded unto riches and liberality. Great joy can segue you into a place of supernatural prosperity into your life. How that in a great trial of, fiction, of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. And then in Luke chapter 15 and verse number 7, the Bible tells us that every time a sinner gives their life to Christ, that there is great joy in heaven. So these are kind of the typographical uh, looks at this. Now let's look at the life application principles of the old wine and the new wine. I want you to Let's let's do some of these takeaways here, okay? I work. We we've been very busy this week, but uh, I had the opportunity to sit down yesterday for a little while and try to put this together. So, uh, uh, if it, if it's feeding you, praise the Lord. And if it's not, come next week and we'll feed you again. Okay. Life application principles of this parable. Here's what we found out: everything has a time and a season. Wine gets better with age. I'm talking about the kind you drink, not the wine. I'm whining about this and whining about that. I'm talking about, I'm talking about, you know. So I, I, I tell Donna, I'm like a fine wine. I'm getting older. I'm getting better with age. And, uh, well, I'm not going to tell you what she says. <laughs> everything has a time and everything has a season. <laughs> Listen to me. When the season has ended, let it end. When the season has ended, let it end. Don't try to recreate a former season because of the memory that you had of that previous season. What you're going to do is mess up your memory when you do that. So when the season ends... Let it in. How do we honor history? We honor history by letting it go. That's how we honor history. When we try to recreate the past of bygone days, we mess things up. Now, 
I'm going to make a statement here, and some of y'all need to tweet it. This is tweetable. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? Don't try to revive something God has retired. Don't try to revive something God has retired. Well, yeah, but God just moved in such a wonderful way, and life was just so different back then, and... Yeah, I know, and that's why God worked the way that He did back then, because He was responding to the culture of that day. I promise you, God has a plan for this generation. I promise you, He's smart enough to know how to get through to the millennial generation and those that are coming up along behind the millennial generation. Some people call them the homebound generation. I've been studying them a lot. I'm finding out that they're not into the big lights and all of the entertainment and everything. They'd rather just have a preacher set up here with just a six-string guitar and do some kind of a coffee shop type thing and then just open up the Bible and just start talking to them in a small group setting. That's how the homegrown generation is going to want to have church. Oh, yeah, but I mean, uh, see, here's the thing. Here, years and years and years ago, these huge edifices, we would build these huge edifices up to, I mean, like cathedrals, massive cathedrals. You go into a lot of these massive cathedrals on Sunday morning anymore, and they're almost empty. You know why? Because people don't base their relationship with God on the building that's around them. Years ago, it was all about the building. This generation don't even care if there is a building. What they care about is one-on-one -on -one talking to each other about what God can do for them. And so many times what happens is sometimes we'll get together and we'll try to revive something that God has retired and then when we find out that it just won't revive, it don't matter how much adrenaline we punch it, pump into it, it doesn't matter how much we try to re recreate it, it don't matter how many times we, we re-sing that same song over and over and over again, it doesn't matter, all of that stuff, and it's just like you keep kicking that horse and kicking that horse and kicking that horse and it's just not getting up. You know why? It's dead! It's not going to get up. It's dead. It was a good horse. <laughs> Starting a lot of great life westerns. But it's dead. And if we try to revive something that God has retired, we're just going to live a life of spiritual frustration. Dr. Summerall years ago used to tell us, he'd say, I remember I was in a meeting at, uh, at uh, uh, there was about 15 of us in the room and we were able to ask him questions and Doc, Doc Summerall, he would sit there, he would sit there kind of like, well, here's this little chair here. I need, kind of need a bigger chair like this. But he was, he was sitting here kind of on this chair except I had a back on it, you know, and he was sitting there kind of like this. People were asking him questions and he was giving them one-word answers. Like he was irritated, that you know, and so he's just kind of sitting there. But he, he wasn't irritated, it was his personality. But he was just sitting there like that. And finally, somebody raised their hand and they said, Doctor, they said, where do you see the Pentecostal church in 25 years? He said, Baptist. Next. 
<laughs> Spiritual frustration. If we try to revive something that God has retired. We honor history and we reach for destiny by letting history go and by embracing the destiny that God is creating. How do we do that? Well, we honor with words. We thank with words. We honor with gifts. We honor the battle-scarred veterans of the cross of Christ by taking care of them and by protecting their legacies. That's how we do that. We honor the past by reaching for the future. We honor the past by reaching for the future. Now listen to me. We're getting ready and we're working on getting a new facility, but this church has been here in this facility for a, a long time, decades now. Here's what I've learned through the years. Because every church that we've went to has pretty much, all but one of them have pretty much grown. And we weren't at that one long enough for it to grow. But they've grown and we've had to move into larger facilities. Here's what I've found out. There are some people who will create soul ties to a facility. Let me tell you this. A soul tie will stop you from experiencing God's best in your life. A soul tie will derail you. So don't get too attached to that which is around you. Make sure that the connection between what's in you and, and your friends and, and those that are your brothers and sisters in Christ and with God, make sure that that connection is good and tight. Make sure that's good and tight, but stay away from the soul ties. Don't let the soul ties derail you. We honor the past by reaching for the future. We don't honor the past by hanging on to what we have. We honor the past by allowing God to take what we have and make it part of the foundation of where God's wanting us to go. Old wine, old wine put in new bottles or new wine put into old bottles, it won't work. It won't work. It'll cause them to expand and crack and break and all kinds of things. Verse 39, No man also having drunk old wine straightway desires new, for he says the old is better. Listen, it is natural, dare I say it, even fleshly for humanity to be reluctant to embrace a fresh move of God. I'm going to say that again. It is natural, even fleshly, for humanity to be reluctant to embrace, and here's the key, a fresh move of God. There is a natural inclination inside of each one of us to embrace the familiar. But, but if we could get where we need to go with what we already have in our hand, then how come we're not there already? God needs to add something to some of us. God needs to add to you. God needs to add to me. God needs to expand the borders of our garment. God needs to expand our thinking. God needs to expand our way of viewing life. God needs to expand, dare I say it, God needs to expand our circle of influencers. He needs to retract in some areas and expand in others. So, we honor the, the past by reaching for the future. And we say, Lord, I'm going to reach for the future and not be trapped in these soulish ties that will derail me because it's something I'm going back to that I'm familiar with that makes me comfortable. Your past 
listen to me, was not given to you to comfort you. That's what the Holy Ghost was given to you for. The Holy Ghost is your comforter. And as we venture into these new areas and we venture into these new realms and we experience God in greater ways and we experience God in great, greater power and greater authority and God turns us from just recipients to conduits of His power and of His anointing, then all of a sudden things are going to start shifting around us and if we look at it from the flesh, we're going to say, whoa, wait a minute, whoa, wait a minute. But that's when we just say, okay, I surrender to the comfort of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit spirit begins to flow through you and comfort you. And then he gives you strength. God gives you strength to expand and move forward. God loves the new. He loves the old too, but God's really into the new. Mark 1, they were all amazed in so much that they questioned among themselves saying, what thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even, even the unclean spirits and they do obey him. So people were wowed by the ministry of Jesus because he was commanding unclean spirits and they obeyed him. Galatians 6 and 15. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision but a new creature. I don't want to get too risque with what I'm trying to teach here but circumcision and uncircumcision is not a very uh, uh, delightful topic. Okay? And here's what the Lord is saying. The Lord is saying, I'm not as much into that as I just want to make you brand new. So why do I want to create patchwork in you when I can make you brand new? The law patched you up. Grace caused you to become born again. A new birth. Brand new. A new birth. A new birth. That's what grace did. Okay? First John chapter 2 and verse 8. And the Bible said, again, a new covenant I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light is now shineth. A new commandment I write unto you. What is that new commandment? That we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, our strength, love our neighbors as ourselves, that we are to walk in love. And then in Revelation chapter 5, come on Mark, Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9, the Bible says, and they sung a new song. In heaven, they sung a new song. They going to sing Amazing Grace in heaven? I don't know. Are they going to sing, How Great Thou Art in Heaven? I don't know. Are they going to sing, I Will Bless the Lord in Heaven? That's kind of an old song, but we sang it this morning, and, it was a good, and it's a good song. Are they going to sing it in heaven? I don't know. I do know this. They're going to sing new songs in heaven. They're going to sing new songs in heaven. Here's what the Bible says, and they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for you were slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and every tongue and every people and every nation. So I think that in a nutshell, what God is trying to tell us out of these two little parables here today is this. God's not into trashing the old. He loves the old. He respects the old so much that he makes it the foundation of his next move. But at the same time, God is asking us to embrace the new things that He's doing today. Those adjustments are hard sometimes. Especially here in Florida. They can be hard sometimes. 
people come here, some, sometimes people come here to retire, to get away from the way life is changing so much. And then they come to a church and they hear a message like this and they're like, really? Yeah, God loves this generation. He loves you. Look at your neighbor and say, you're sucking air. So God loves you. Tell him. So this message was for you. If you're sucking air, God, this message is for you. God knew you would be here. He knew you would be here. So you say, Pastor, how do I apply this to my life? How do I apply it to my heart? First of all, you allow God to rework your frame, your, your mindset, the framework of your mind. You allow, Lord, you just say, you pray prayers like this. You say, Lord, I just open myself to, up to whatever you are doing today. Lord, I don't even have to like the music, but if it reaches the next generation, I'm on board with it. Lord, I might not even like my preacher wearing blue jeans, but if it reaches the next generation, Lord, that's okay. It's the same message that's going to come out, and, I, and, and I, whatever it takes, Lord. And just look past all of our personal wants and look past all of our personal desires and look past all of those things and just say, Lord, I want what you want. I want to be involved with what you're doing today. So, Lord, show me how I can be involved. Show me what I can do. Show me how I can be the blessing that you have created me to be. That's what you can do. And then you can look around at some of these young people that's around here. You know, we've got like four brand new babies that are going to be here within like three months. Look around at some of these young people, some of these young adults, and reach out to them and just put your arms around them. And instead of, you know, talking about, oh, that next generation, I just don't know about them, you know. And, you know, your, your parents talked about your generation like that. You know, just instead of doing that, just put your arms around them and just let them know, we're a safe place. You can come to me if you need me. I'll pray with you. I'll try to encourage you. I'll try to lift you up. So we're not creating patchwork. We're honoring what God did in the past, but we're also embracing what God is doing today. And I'll tell you, the future's bright. The future's bright. Let's stand. Let's stand. Thank you for joining us on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at www.suncoast4, and that's the number four, Jesus.tv. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669. Or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And remember, the Word will work if you work the Word.